You're listening to The Green Country, a fantasy storytelling podcast where each episode introduces a new character, creature, or facet of this fantastical land. These stories follow the course of Queen Alyssa's centennial tour of her kingdom. Every 100 years, the long-lived monarch travels throughout her overgrown forest realm, meeting its inhabitants and seeing its sights. Join me each week as we explore a new and fascinating aspect of this lush, expansive world. You can learn more at www.thegreen.country, and I invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. Thanks for listening. Cackerel's Keep Epilogue The Primogen Toad Many ages ago, when the land called the Green Country was young, a small toad crept from a little pool of water, taking his first steps on terra firma. The land was open and fresh, and though plant life grew in profusion, it was not the forested country it is today. In the lifespan of the planet, it had only been a short time since a great glacier had cleaved through the land, a powerful behemoth from the north. It had slowly marched southward, melting away into the countless lakes and rivers which now riddled the land. The earth in this place was fresh, a youthful world, newly awakened from the dark eons of heavy ice that had driven over its surface. It was into this soft world the new toad emerged. The vestiges of a stout tail still sprouted from the little amphibian's rear, a memory of his recent time as a tadpole. Looking out on the wide world, his thoughts were far from the days spent in his cloistered aquatic nursery. There was much to explore. He set out across the verdant turf admiring the flowers and plants that were springing to life around him. Insects of all manner skittered and buzzed, catching his eye, and soon he made a meal of one. Everything was new and exciting, and in the days that followed, the toad had added to his life's scroll copious volumes of experience, some wondrous, and others death-defying. One evening, he came to rest near the edge of a small rocky pool after a long day of tramping across a particularly harrowing stretch of ground. At one point, he had been pursued by some kind of woolly varmint which seemed intent on eating him. Yet he had prevailed, escaping the foe by way of a cunning ruse in which he flattened into a rigid disc, a toad pancake, you might say in an utterly convincing display of rigor mortis. The snuffling beast had become disinterested, and the toad lived to hop another day. Now standing before this tranquil pool, the toad could not help but surrender to its silky waters. He eased his weary bones into the dark stillness, and felt in it gentle warmth, a remnant heat of the day's sun. He sank to the bottom of the pool and felt smooth rock against the pads of his feet and belly. He felt safe and contented at the bottom of the pool, and he gently slumbered there for a time. 
He awoke later, in the deep of the night. The sky was vast above him, and on the surface of the water above, he could see reflected a great scattering of shimmering stars, stretching the length of the moonlit vault. The smooth rock he sat upon seemed to reflect these points of starlight as well. Its surface glowed with countless luminous specks. The little toad did not know that the rock it stood upon was the only one of its kind in all of the green country, and indeed the whole world. He did not know that it had fallen from the sky countless ages ago, a nomad plummeting to earth from the stars. In his simple, youthful way, he knew only that he felt very peaceful there in the slumbering pool, with the stars overhead and the stars below him. In time, he would come to guess at the strange origins of the rock, though never would he know for certain. In the morning, he awoke to find the sun climbing into the sky, radiant with the light of the day's renewal. He emerged from the pool, finding himself to feel refreshed and vital, seemingly the best he had ever felt. He tromped onward into the waiting day, giving no further thought to the serene pool. Though in the days, months, years, and eons to come, a miraculous realization would dawn on him. While traveling up a rocky hillside, stones above him loosen and begin to fall. He is crushed, yet emerges unscathed. He is eaten by a massive cairn wolf, and somehow survives the ordeal of digestion, not his favorite memory. Numerous times more, he survives circumstances of certain death without so much as a scratch. Over the years, he continues to grow in size, yet does not seem to suffer the ravages of age. Over these strange eons, so too does his mind grow and evolve. The simple instincts of the toad broaden into conscious thought and self-awareness. Thousands of years pass, and the toad grows larger still, traveling the lands which would come to be known as the green country, and doing so comes to know the sundry folk and creatures that dwell there. By a tongue not of his own, he comes to be called Toha, the primogen toad. He sees the rise and fall of countless rulers. Peoples come to prominence and then fall away. He learns their languages, their lore, has dealings with their most arcane and powerful, and rises as an eternal legend in the green country. Toha, the timeless one, ancient king of the realm. It was in his swampy abode that a man who stunk of evil and dark, potent magic appeared before him. How he had found Toha's lair could not be said, but this should have given the Toad King reason for concern, though he pushed aside such considerations. The fetid man had presented to Toha the darkest of pacts, his will utterly nefarious. Toha rebuked the gaunt interloper with an earthquaking roar, raising a massive foreleg 
and pounding the ground before him. You enter my sanctuary unbidden, lurking like a wraith. These dark designs you peddle reveal the sickness in your heart. Abandon your plans, or you shall become an enemy to my country, to the green country. The skeletal man stood there a moment, unmoved by Toha's upheaval, then cast his callow gaze at Toha's massive eyes. Very well, he said quietly, and then vanished into the air with a whisper. Toha was unsettled by this ill visit, but soon he cast the matter from his mind and settled back into a restful slumber. He had planned a short sleep of ten seasons or thereabouts before he once more ventured out across the land. Yet when he next awoke, he found something was wrong. A sickly presence permeated his marshy sanctum, and when he attempted to extricate himself from the waters, he found them dense and clinging, and they held him fast. Struggling as he might, his massive strength was no match for the cunning enchantment of the odious interloper. The time Toha slept, that same sorcerer had worked a diabolical, magical ritual without ceasing, to bind the toad god to his lair. Sustained by foul magic alone, the grand ensorceling had extracted a heavy toll from its caster, withering him into a half-corpse. Now complete, the dark rite was the only thing which sustained the evil wizard. He commanded that ageless amphibian he had constrained, and now drew upon Toha's vast and ancient power. Closing the lids to the great globes of his eyes, Toha drew his focus deep into the center of his mind-soul, and sought some magical working which might free him from his watery prison. He could find no chink in the bewitchment that restrained him, and so once more he ventured into that inner realm and called out to any ally who might hear his cry. The necromancer's enchantment was near impenetrable, yet there was one who still heard Toha's call. Over the space of many miles and countless years, his beseeching words reached the ears of a friend. Far away, within a modest altar, there lay a simple wooden statue. This altar was situated within a little stone shrine, deep within the wilds of the green country. This was a time before the Great Treaty, when the kingdom was a fierce frontier of outposts and fastnesses amid a sea of untouched forest. In this humble temple dwelled a man, the shrine-keeper, one of many in a long line who had dwelled in that place, keeping watch over the little wooden carving, waiting for a sign. And it was to this particular man, one Stargan Spirehelm, to whom the sign came. He had returned late in the day from a hunt, bearing a quarry of several rabbits, and upon entering found the little effigy illumined with the softest sun-glow, casting its magical light around the room. He forgot the supper of rabbit stew that he was about to cook, and quickly prepared his bed. 
From a high shelf, he took a small, dusty bottle, sealed with wax. Soon, the cork had been pried from this vessel, and he downed its dark contents in a single draught. The potion was heady and potent, and moments after he had laid his back to his modest mattress of leaves and soft grasses, he had fallen out of the waking world and into another. He found himself seated atop what seemed to be a grassy hill, though the vision was so bright any greater detail was occluded. There was a faint rustling as an otherworldly wind blew through the strange spaces of this dimension, and suddenly a shimmering woman stood before him. She was bedecked in fine armor of green and gold, and bore in her essence the weight of antiquity, as though she might have stepped from a tapestry into the present vision. O young Spirehelm, you and those who came before you, who have held my talisman in steadfast safety, I now call upon you to journey forth, for there will come a moment of great need, and I must be in the right place when that time comes. The shrine-keeper nodded at this request without hesitation. Stargan's father had told him that which had been told to him by his own father. There might one day come a time when he would be called to action, away from the hidden altar and out into the world. The ethereal woman drifted forward, coming nearer to Stargan, and he was unnerved by the fineness of her features, the brightness of her very being. She took his hand in her own, her slender, tattooed fingers encircling his, and then looked into him, and a deep sadness flooded her face. Shrine-keeper, you must know, this journey will end with your own ending. You are the last of the keepers of this reliquary. Stargan nodded numbly. To forfeit his own life, this, too, he had been prepared for by his father, though hearing the words, he was rocked to his core. The beautiful warrior looked away from him, caught in her own thoughts momentarily. This journey will surely see the end of my own story as well. Then she looked back up to meet his gaze, her face bright once more. How unlucky yet fortunate we are to serve the great need of this wild green country. I love this land more than life itself, so fitting it should be that I die for it. In that moment, Stargan saw all those things he cherished about this green land that was his home. Drinking cool, crisp water that poured clear and joyful from a spring deep in the earth, the trilling song of a briar thrush in the shadows of the morning, the stillness of a winter forest when life slept under a blanket of frosty whiteness. His heart mirrored that of the relic-bound goddess, and the fear he had felt only moments earlier fled him. Resolute in his willingness to meet his fate, he found the courage to speak. O oh, forgotten empress! Lady of the Talisman, I must know who you are.
and then Stargan blushed, suddenly embarrassed at his forwardness. Dear Stargan, I am Rhina Lannan. Many ages before, I was a princess of the house Lannan, and a warrior unmatched in my skill and cunning. There came a time when a spirit of the land itself called on my family, speaking of a great need that would come with the passing of eons. And so I pledged my very essence to this humble wooden trinket, so that I could once more rise when the fates deemed it time. The shrine-keeper felt the weight of truth in her words, and any lingering doubts were vanquished. Then let us meet this great need together, Princess Rhyna, spoke Stargan. When he awoke the next morning, he found in his mind a vision of the place he sought. A vacant swampland where no green thing grew. In the wastes of this strange landscape, he saw the foundations of a dark tower beginning to rise. Stone blocks laid by sorrowful broken hands built its structure even now. Woe radiated from the craggy spire, and it appeared a great wound, a broken spear thrust into the flesh of the earth. Tucking the talisman into his pack, he set off soon after waking, certain he would never return there. He traveled far across the green country, seeking that place he saw in his vision. Eventually, he came to know the whereabouts of the place, and of a name, Kakarol. All the while, great Toha slumbered beneath the foundations of the necromancer's stronghold. At last, Stargan came to a small village that lay on the outskirts of Kakarol's poisoned lands. Many of the townsfolk had fled the place, fearing the vileness that emanated from those withered lands. Yet there had stayed an elfin moon witch by the name of Natha. It almost seemed that she had awaited Stargan's arrival, for she offered him food, and there being no inn in the small town, a place to sleep for the night. Stargan spoke not of his purpose, though he sensed she somehow knew. What Natha and Stargan shared, they shared in the silence of knowing. He awoke the next morning. He bade his host goodbye, and strode off into the wastes, not looking back. Moved as she was to watch the horizon each day for his return, Natha did not. She knew he would never be seen there. When the snows came, she left the village, moving far away to start anew. She was welcomed into the new town, as they were in need of a healer and a woman of magic. And the folk there were kind to her when they saw she was with child. When the boy was born, she gave it Stargan's last name, Spirehelm. Across a great gulf of time, in the present day, Stargan's bones still lay where they had fallen, resting in the abandoned rookery of the maskbirds. Yet his quest had at last been fulfilled. Toha's great eyelids quavered and then opened ever slowly. 
the muck and detritus of countless ages falling away as he roused. Stumbling upon his massive form moments before, one would have thought him a gray statue, hewn from dull stone. Yet he now breathed deep and flexed his powerful limbs. That oppressive weight, which had held him constricted for countless centuries, had lifted, and in this atmosphere of new freedom, the toad god was returning to life. He opened his wide mouth and croaked softly, reuniting with the sound of his own ancient voice. His wide feet braced the earth, and he pushed upwards, and felt the weight of stones above him. In that dark and dusky catacomb, he inhaled through vast nostrils a breath ever deep and flexed upwards once more. He felt the stones above him shift and cajole, and he took another breath, and this time let out a thunderous call as he pushed skyward. The structure which had been suspended above him fell away, scattered like the building blocks of a child. Toha emerged into the light of morning, his bulk appearing a small mountain on the horizon. A sweet breeze blew over the land, the goodness of the green country, which had been held in abeyance for eons by Kakarol's twisted presence. Toha sounded a cacophonous greeting across the land, a booming song of joy. He was free. If you like what you just heard, be sure to visit www.thegreen.country for more great content, including beautiful illustrations, detailed character descriptions, and much more. The Green Country is also on Patreon, where a small monthly pledge will give you access to extra content, like an illustrated PDF of the story you just heard. Whether you back this project financially or simply share it with a friend, you can help this vibrant land continue to grow. Once more, that's www.thegreen.country. Thanks for listening!